dude. Welcome to Monday, everybody. I hope you had a great day. These are some of the headlines on BizarreVest.com. Hunters with dogs take on New York City rat infestation. America's major cities are being turned into war zones, and it probably won't end in November. Enemy next door, the basement commie, how the USA will become one, a one-party state, and people are working to make that happen. A pastor has had a prophetic dream about upcoming September. Groundbreaking blood test detects cancer years before symptoms appear. And FYI, for November 2020, in case something pops off, something to learn from Wilmington, North Carolina's insurrection of 1898. These and many more headlines are on BizarreBest.com. While rats in New York have been emboldened since the pandemic, they're just starving to death, basically, with restaurants closed. There's nothing for them to eat. Um, so this is a story about hunters and dogs who are now hunting the rats in New York City. On the night of July 4th, Elias Shule and his dog Sundrop rummaged around a trash-ridden street corner on Manhattan's Lower East Side. In a flash, five rats darted out from under the garbage cans and Sundrop emerged with one still squirming in his mouth. Good boy, Mr. Shule said, as the dog placed the catch at his feet before dashing off in pursuit of another. Mr. Shule stomped on the rat's head to finish the job. About an hour later, eight dead rats lay on the flatbed of Mr. Shule's truck. It had been a slow night. It's normally crawling with rats, he said. You uncover the top of a trash can and there are like 20 of them, looking at you like snakes in pits. Mr. Shule is among a small set of New Yorkers who hunt rats with their dogs. While most people shriek in terror at the sight of New York City's least popular denizen, Mr. Shule and Sundrop, named for his sunny disposition, go from trash can to trash can, fettering out vermin to catch and kill. Dude, I hope this dog has serious shots, right? Like, I'm already worried for the dog in my head. Mr. Shule even volunteers their services to residents whose neighborhoods are overrun. No payment necessary. I would never want to give someone the false impression that I can solve a problem. I can come and kill 10 rats. There's still going to be 100 more later on that day. He's probably right. Wow. Uh, and there's a picture on here of this beautiful dog, Sundrop. And in the event, experts say millions of rats live in the Big Apple, though there are no reliable, there's no reliable census about it. The city's shutdown over the coronavirus pandemic and its subsequent reopening has thrown the rat population into disarray, with rodents venturing further afield in search of food. Meanwhile, the city recently reduced trash pickup services in rat mitigation zones as part of sweeping budget cuts for the next fiscal year, prompting fears their numbers will grow. Well, I'm sure that the trash hasn't ceased to pile up, so it's gonna become even more of a problem. Some New Yorkers still want extra help from Sundrop. Valerie Lampson, who lives in Brooklyn's Bedford, um, Stysvesen, I don't know if I pronounced that right, has gotten used to stomping her feet whenever she leaves home at all times of the day to ward off rats. She prefers to walk in the middle of the street to avoid them because they congregate around trash bags piled on the sidewalks for pickup. She keeps her keys in hand to slip quickly into her building in case she spots any. They have to carry all kinds. Man, do they carry rabies? I don't know. And I know they carry some major diseases, dude.
Mrs. Lamson reach out to Mr. Shule, 35 years old, after she discovered him and his hobby from a post he had made in her neighborhood Facebook group. He was asking for recommendations on where to go to find lots of rats. Dude, she let him know he would be busy on her block. She was skeptical of Sundrop's abilities until she watched him run down a rat a few months ago. You read a lot of things on Facebook. I wasn't really a believer. That's why I went downstairs and I actually saw it for myself. Now that Mr. Shule and Sundrop have made a few rounds, Ms. Lamston said she's starting to feel a little more comfortable walking down her block. Those rats that go away, they went away. They went and informed the other ones, don't go outside, she speculated. I haven't seen them in a while, but I'm still cautious. Maybe he's chasing them away somehow. Mr. Shul started hunting last year after watching some YouTube videos and finding that other people did this. His first ta task was to adopt a dog that could hunt. He found Sundrop, a mix of Boston Terrier, American Bulldog, and an Australian Cattle Dog, Chihuahua, and other breeds. In a shelter already about a year old, he played with him and threw ball to test his boldness and drive to chase things. The real training came from joining a pack Mr. Shoal began hunting with called the Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society, or RATS, which started about 30 years ago. The alley is a favorite rat-filled area, and trencher fed is a hunting term used for hounds that are cared for individually and brought together as a pack on hunting days. Dude, that's pretty awesome. Richard Reynolds, the founder of RATS, said he has noticed that rats have changed some of their patterns since the shutdowns. We have to work a little harder to catch them because we have to find out where they are. My dream in life is a dead-end alley that's overrun with rats, said Mr. Reynolds, 76. Mr. Reynolds, who lives in Tenafly, New Jersey, with six dogs, terriers, and dust hounds, said rats consists of a mailing list of about 65 people, with a few core members that hunt together regularly. After the pandemic, Mr. Reynolds said they cut the usual team of eight people, each with one dog, to five or six for social distancing. A favorite destination is the Lower East Side. The hunters meet there with their dogs and go from trash pile to trash pile. Some of the dogs dig into the trash to, to drive out the rats, and others wait on the perimeter to run them down. Mr. Shule recently parted ways with the group. Now working alone, he's been hunting more frequently, gathering up Sundrop's kills to drop off in front of the Gracie Mansion, the New York City mayor's residence, in what he describes as his own form of protest against police brutality. A spokeswoman for the mayor's office declined to comment. I don't see how that is protesting police brutality. I shall read on. Mr. Shule is trying to build his own crew of hunting dog owners. Seems that Mr. Shule maybe didn't get along with the rest of the members of his rat pack. One interested party is Laura Shedd, whose dog Zulu, a mix that might have some treeing Tennessee Brindle in his background, has a proclivity for chasing squirrels in parks. The 56-year-old higher education administrator said she was intrigued by the idea of hunting rats as the pet pest infestation on her block had worsened. She went out with Mr. Shule one night to watch him and Sundrop work but left Zulu at home since he didn't have 
the necessary vaccines. Exactly. I was wondering about that. The biggest danger for dogs is contracting leptospirosis, a bacterial infection rats can transmit. I love all mammals. I'm a nature person, Ms. Shedd said. I think mice and rats are as adorable as every other furry creature, but they are really out of control. Well, I'll tell you what, that is really interesting. I wish them all the luck in the world. I do not understand how placing the rats on the mayor's front doorstep is his way of protesting police brutality, but I digress. I will link it at bizarrebest.com. America's major cities are turning into war zones and it's probably not going to end in November. The civil unrest that we witnessed all across America this weekend was extremely alarming. For a few weeks, it seemed like the chaos that erupted in the immediate aftermath of the tragic murder of George Floyd was subsiding, but in recent days, there has been a dramatic resurgence. Within the last 48 hours, there have been eruptions of violence in major cities such as Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Oakland, Louisville, Austin, and Richmond. At this point, we've seen sustained protests and rioting for nearly two months straight, and it looks like the chaos isn't going to disappear anytime soon. And let me just say that these are not necessarily protests. These are riots, full-blown Full-blown riots, dude. Total, absolute domestic terrorism is what I'm calling it. Over the past few weeks, a few people have written uh, this person who wrote this article with emails suggesting that the civil unrest will disappear if Joe Biden wins the election in November. But I don't believe that's true, and neither do I. Virtually, all of the rioting is happening in cities that are controlled by Democrats. And the leftist politicians that run those cities do not have any control over the Marxist protesters at all. In fact, they are all on the same team. I'll get into that in another story, but they are. It's all a plan. It's all a narrative. For example, just look at what's been happening in Seattle and Portland. The politicians that run those cities are radical Democrats, and yet those radical Democrats have been completely and utterly unable to end the violence. They don't want to. The following comes from the Daily Mail. The streets of Seattle turned violent Saturday when protesters set fire to a youth detention center and a police precinct. Other protesters, you mean rioters, threw rocks, bottles, fireworks, and other explosives at cops with the unrest leading local authorities to declare protests had turned into riots that afternoon. Portland geared up for its 59th night of unrest Saturday with swaths of demonstrators marching from the federal building to the Portland Marriott, where they believe federal officers are staying in the wake of a violent night Friday that ended with at least one person stabbed. To me, it's absolutely amazing that Portland has had 59 days of protest in a row. You mean riots? It turned to riots long ago. One man that actually lives in downtown Portland said that his neighborhood has essentially been turned into a war zone. Think about that. Would you like to live in that? Gabriel Johnson has lived in the Essex House apartments in downtown Portland for seven years. He has loved it until now. I compare it to a war zone and some people will take that and, he, and say he must be exaggerating, but no, said Johnson. 
Johnson said he is kept awake by the nightly demonstrations taking place just two blocks from his home. The sounds of fireworks and flashbangs, he said, are overwhelming. The tear gas is bad, too, and Johnson certainly doesn't know. And Johnson certainly knows what his war zone is like because he's actually a military veteran. So he knows what a war zone looks like. Elsewhere, two very heavily armed militia groups nearly came face to face in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend. More than 300 members of the Atlanta-based Black Militia NFAC, or not fucking around coalition, came to Louisville demanding justice for 26-year-old Breonna Taylor. They also want Texas to themselves. Just saying. An ER technician, Brianna was an ER technician who was fatally shot by officers in March. The group came close to 50 far right, 3% are militia members who were also heavily armed. Police kept the sides apart and tensions eventually dissipated. Um, but one dude shot himself, I thought, after he fainted from heat exhaustion. One of those NFAC dudes. Why wasn't the safety on? Luckily, a child wasn't killed. But there, I don't know, that's not in here. Oh, wait, it is. But there was one unfortunate, <laughs> there was one unfortunate incident when a member of the NF, NFAC accidentally had a gun discharge. Police confirmed three members of the NFAC were struck by gunfire when someone's gun discharged while participating in a demonstration Saturday. All three victims went to a hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. They say they're ex-military, but they're not, because upon closer inspection of some of the photos that they've released of themselves, they're holding shit upside down. Dude's holding his gun backwards. One has a jammed magazine in his gun. What the hell are y'all doing out there? Get it together. Meanwhile, things got really crazy in, down in Atlanta. Rioters attacked a local ICE and DHS field office, and they came close to setting it on fire. Atlanta also endured a night of unrest across Saturday evening into the early hours of Sunday as protesters took aim at the city, at the city's ICE and DHS off field offices, smashing windows and attempting to set fire to the building. Reports suggest that nobody was inside the building at the time. However, extensive damage was caused to the front of the facility. Agents were seen patrolling the ground early Sunday as FBI officers snapped pictures of the shattered windows and what appeared to be scorch marks left from fireworks on the office walls. It is important to understand that these rioters are very serious about their goals and they're not going to be happy with just a few half-hearted reforms. No, they want America completely destroyed. And I will get into that in another story. It's a fact. It's all a narrative, y'all. BLM is a narrative being used by Antifa protesters. Okay? It's a narrative. For many of them, nothing short of the overthrow of the entire system will suffice. That's exactly it. That's their aim. That's what they all want. Have you please read their website? That's exactly what they want. They want to destroy the world that you and I live in. As they bitch about their own privilege that they don't know that they have. Complain about not having lives that they need to build for themselves. Fuck out of here. As we draw closer to the November election, anything and anyone associated with President Trump will be a potential target. 
without a doubt. Trump supporter Bernie Trammell probably never imagined that his support of Trump would get him gunned down in front of his own business, but that is precisely what has happened to the man. Arnell Trammell, Trammell, a black Donald Trump supporter, was reportedly shot and killed in Milwaukee on Thursday, July 23rd. According to Fox 6, the 60-year-old was gunned down during a drive-by shooting in the neighborhood where he was known for displaying signs reading, Vote Trump 2020, and recited Bible verses. He is allowed. He is an American. He can vote for who he wants. That is called voter intimidation and is totally illegal. You can't just shoot people for how they want to vote. The hell is wrong with people? Tremel was discovered dead in front of his business. A makeshift memorial containing flowers and candles has been set up on the sidewalk where he died. One could probably imagine something like this happening in Seattle, Portland, or Los Angeles, but Milwaukee? Oh, yes. It is so sad to watch our major cities being torn apart, but a lot of Democrats out there seem to think that all of this chaos is just temporary and it will come to an end once Trump is removed from office, or rather... I have had a full-fledged conversation slash argument on Facebook with a person I will not name who be just believes that we should all conform and then things will get better. We should all conform and then we can all sing Kumbaya my asshole when it's over. Unfortunately, the truth is that these protests will never were never primarily about Trump at all. Yet the protesters hate Trump and they aren't exactly fans of Joe Biden and the other moderate Democrats either. As Susan Duclos has pointed out, if Joe Biden and the Democratic Party actually believe that they will be able to control these protesters if they win in November, they are being extremely delusional. Well, they won't even care. They won't do shit about it. You will live in a perpetual civil war. This is a political calculation on the part of the liberal media and Democrat politicians support the violent protesters, cause as much chaos and mayhem as possible before the election, hoping that Trump will be blamed and their candidate, Joe Biden, will win. It's a fucking narrative, y'all. It's a narrative. They want you to play. Problem for them is even if it works, there is no way they will control the monster they created. And if they think they can, they are more delusional than originally thought because that's not the actual narrative that's going on. That's one of the narratives. That's not the narrative that's being um, played out in real life. These aren't fucking polls, dude. It's really happening. I've been warning that the civil unrest was coming for a very long time and it is eventually going to get much, much worse. No matter who wins in November, if you currently live in the heart of one of our major cities, do not be fooled into thinking that these protests are just temporary and that these things will eventually go back to normal. These rioters have a fervor that is almost on a religious level and they are entirely convinced of the righteousness of their cause. They are never going to give up and they are willing to do whatever it takes to achieve their goals. They are communists, dude. Um, that was me, not this author that just said that, by the way. There is a huge narrative going on. 
that people are falling for and they don't even know it. It's disgusting. Anyway, I'm going to link this article. You can read it for yourself at bizarrebus.com. Also linked at Bizarrebus is how the USA will become a one-state party. Um, this was an original um, write-up over at The Guardian and basically entails um, the narrative of the people that are all dressed in black, like these Antifa dudes and these other, like, anarchists, basically, is what they are. Um, and it entails their plan for a one-party state or nation, okay? Uh, this is, so they're not going to stop at, this has no, nothing to do any longer with police brutality or racism. They have used this for their own narrative and all of this fighting that's going on in these major cities now is about turning our nation into a one-party state. They are trying to destroy our nation. If you don't understand that, um, I invite you to click on the link and read for yourself what these people are about. Or you can go to attackthesystem.com um, and just click on that story or you can click on statement of fucking purpose, dude. And it explains everything. Um, they want to end the government entirely. And beyond that, there's no real plan. Um, you might as well, and they're anti-fascist, but no, they're not. They are what that is, what that entails. Um, it, it, it's, it, you might as well have Stalin in power or Mao. That's exactly what's going to happen here. I totally uh, invite you to read their plan. It should scare the living shit out of you. There's actually the sickle and hammer logo on their logo. They're fucking communists, dude. Total commies. This is what these young kids want. Um, that are they're rising up everywhere. This is what has caused it. They are considered a terrorist organization. Um, so maybe not this website, but they're part of the whole plan. They, them and everybody else involved in this kind of shit. I invite you to read about it because that is what's really going on out here. And I, you know, I hate to say it, but if the Dems get in, it's just going to give them the free leeway that they want to make that plan a reality for the rest of us. So anyway, I'm gonna link that at bizarrebest.com. Let's take a quick break and uh, we wanted to show you the support page at bizarrebest.com where you can just go to bizarrebest.com and click on support us. You can choose t-shirts, uh, anything you've seen in the videos we try to list. There's five uh, different ways that you can try to support us. You can use Cash App, Zelle, PayPal, Bitcoin. Um, you can just send a straight uh, Zelle request if you want, Venmo. You can uh, choose to uh, purchase a mask, any of the t-shirts. We got Alien Lives Matter, Earth Life Matters, 
black hole eats matters. Black holes eat matter. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot of different things you can do to support us. We would certainly appreciate it if you feel that we deserve that. Thank you so much. Well, I read a story today, uh, Bizarre. Something big is coming. Pastor Dana Coverstone just had another prophetic dream about the month of September. Christians all over America are talking about Pastor Dana Coverstone, and he just had another prophetic dream about the month of September that everyone should be hearing. He is warning that something big is coming, and he's calling all Christians over the country, all over the country, to pray for our nation from the beginning of the month of September to the end. Hopefully many will heed this call because we are definitely at a major turning point in our history. I agree. I'm more concerned with November, but hey, you never know, right? Dude, at this point, anything can pop off. Uh, I've been hearing from so many readers lately that feel such an urgency about the second half of this year and beyond. And I think that it's a big reason why Pastor Coverstone's original video resonated so strongly with so many people, which it's on this page. What he shared in that video exactly matches what countless believers have been feeling, and it's also it also perfectly lines up with the experiences that other prophetic voices have been having. Pastor Coverstone's original video on YouTube has been viewed at one and a half million times. In that video, he shared a dream that he had in December of 2019, in which the Lord showed him that a great pandemic and tremendous civil unrest would erupt in America during the first half of the year, and events have played out in real life just as he saw them in the dream. Subsequently, Pastor Coverstone had another dream in late June in which, in which the month of September was specifically singled out as having special significance. Here's what I saw, he said. I saw a calendar. Start with the calendar. As I was having this, the calendar was up. A white figure appeared. To me, it was representing God, the Holy Spirit. Something pure, something righteous, something true, something holy, because there was nothing sinister about it, nothing evil. But I heard the voice say, part two, part two. I saw June go. I saw July. I saw August. And then I saw September. And I saw the finger underneath the word September. And I like emphasized it and tapped the three, and it tapped three times. We don't know exactly what will happen in September, but from the remainder of the dream, it certainly sounds like great chaos is coming in November and in the months beyond. Dude, I just got off that conversation. Other prophetic voices have been warning about the second half of this year as well. Dr. Maurice. Scar was specifically shown that September is a key month, and John Finn was specifically shown the same thing. So we have multiple witnesses that are all confirming the same thing, and that should definitely get our attention. My question is, if they knew about one another, wouldn't you be dreaming about that because you already have knowledge? Is it suggested? Uh, therefore, it is. I mean, we can't just, you know, we gotta, I mean, it's fun to think, oh, well, maybe you know something, but then at the same time, dude, 2020's popping off like nobody's business. Sharknado could happen at this point. So they could be doing suggestive dreaming to one another if they know of one another. So we have multiple witnesses that all confirm the same thing, and that should definitely get our attention. It should be noted that John Fenn was told that the events that he was shown are conditional. In other words, they may or may not happen based on how America responds over the coming months. 
And that actually fits very well with the new prophetic dream that Pastor Dana Coverstone just had on July 10th because that dream appears to be a national call to prayer. Pastor Coverstone revealed this new dream during a worship service at his church, and you can watch this entire sermon right here. There's a link where it says right here. In the dream, Pastor Coverstone saw a hand remove the month of September from the calendar and the page fell and came to rest at his feet. He was instructed to stand on that page and to intercede for the nation. After praying for a few minutes, he was instructed to call others to pray with him. And ultimately, he saw large numbers of people praying all throughout the month of September. He saw believers united in prayer and then he saw something else that was very unusual. He saw a hand come down and write the words, a solemn in front of the word September, so a solemn September. And then the hand wrote the word assembly after the word September, a solemn September assembly. And so when the hand was done writing the phrase, a solemn September assembly was written across the top of the calendar. That immediately got my attention because we actually find the phrase a solemn, a solemn assembly in the Bible. In Leviticus 23, 36, the festival of Yom Kippur is described as a solemn assembly in the King James Version. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation under you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. And guess what? This year, the festival of Yom Kippur just happens to be that during the month of September, do you think that it's just a coincidence? I don't know. Pastor Coverstone did not make this connection in his sermon. I don't even know if he's aware of it, and I think that makes all of this even more remarkable. Once again, God is going to great lengths to po point out the importance of the appointed times that he established in the scriptures, and hopefully we are willing to pay attention. Another thing that I find very interesting is that a solemn assembly has already been planned for Washington, D.C. on Saturday, September 25th. It is being called The Return, and it is being organized by Jonathan Kahn, who is going to feature some of the biggest Christian names in America, and you can preview a promotional video for the event right here. The period of time from Rosh Hash, Hashanah to Yom Kippur is known as the Days of Awe. And the central day of this event was purposely placed on the weekend that falls between those two very important festivals. The goal of this gathering is to get people to repent and pray for the nation. And that sounds exactly white, what, like what Pastor Coverstone saw in his dream. But just because God is calling people to pray in September does not mean that it will happen automatically. People have to get together to do that, don't they? So it just goes on to say uh, time is running out. And if America stands on the precipice of judgment, the only hope for the United States is to return to the one true God who created all things and fate of our nation hangs in the balance. Well, I agree. Um, it certainly can't hurt, right? Um, so even if you're not totally a devout Christian, it doesn't hurt to pray. Anyway, you can check it out. I'm going to link the video up at BizarreBus.com. Exciting news on the cancer front. A groundbreaking blood test can detect cancer years before symptoms appear. Developed by a Sino U.S. startup, the groundbreaking new blood test is referred to as Pansir. 
The new blood test can detect various types of cancer years before previously possible with traditional detection methods. According to a new research published in the Science Journal of Nature Communications, early detection of cancer, cancer has the potential to significantly decrease, de decrease death rates caused by the disease, as we know. Scientists have tried for years to develop a cancer screening test that would reliably detect malignancy potential before tumor cells have the chance to spread, making treatment more effective, but until today, most attempts were unsuccessful or had partial results at best. Developed by a Sino-Sino-US startup, the groundbreaking new blood test is referred to as PANSEER. It was developed by an international team of scientists at the University of California who were successfully able to diagnose five different types of cancer long before symptoms appeared in the patients it tested. Dude! The five types of cancer that PANSEER can currently detect are stomach cancer, esophageal, bowel, lung, and liver cancer, all fairly common test is based on a technique that was developed over a decade and allows detection of malignant tumors in their early stages, which haven't led to any symptoms yet and were thus undetectable with previous methods. Previous detections and methods typically involved researchers collecting blood samples from people already diagnosed with the disease. The new study, on the other hand, included a 10-year health survey conducted between 2007 and 2017 that took blood samples from more than 120,000 healthy people in China, collecting samples from people before they had presented any signs of having cancer. I wonder if those people knew that, or were they forced to give those blood tests? The detection technique is based on a biological process called DNA method and analysis, which screens for DNA signatures specific to different cancers. Is this like the same? Is this why they're collecting all the DNA samples in China, like the video I did the other day? Anyway, a special algorithm then compiles the findings and presents an indication of a person's likelihood of developing the disease. What we showed is up to four years before these people walk into the hospital, they are already have signatures in their blood that show they have cancer. Wow, dude, that's crazy. And that's never been done before, he said. The test managed to detect early signs of cancer in 95% of 605 patients who didn't know any symptoms when being tested but developed cancer up to four years later. Dude. The researchers hope that Panseer or a similar blood test will become a standard annual test but noted that further and more comprehensive studies need to be done before that can happen. Uh, I'm gonna need that, please. <laughs> I'll take that. Anyway, I'm, I'm gonna link it at bizarrebus.com so you can check it out. Due to what's happening in some of the major cities and um, all the insurrection happening, I thought I'd look up past insurrections, uh, and that brought me to Wilmington Insurrection of 1898. The Wilmington Insurrection of 1898, also known as the Wilmington Massacre of 1898, or the Wilmington Coup of 1898, occurred in Wilmington, North Carolina on Thursday, November 10th of 1898. It is considered a turning point in post-Reconstruction North Carolina politics. The event initiated an era of more severe racial segregation and effective disenfranchisement of African Americans throughout the South, a shift already underway since passage by Mississippi of a new con constitution in 1890, 
Raising Barriers to Voter Registration. Laura Edwards wrote in Democracy Betrayed, 2000, what happened in Wilmington became an affirmation of white supremacy, not just in that one city, but in the South and in the nation as a whole, as it affirmed that invoking whiteness eclipsed the legal censorship, individual rights, and equal protection under the law that Blacks were guaranteed under the 14th Amendment. The current situation in some of these major cities has nothing to do with this. This is the righteous fight here. Those people that are fighting today are using um, BLM as a backdrop to a narrative to completely destroy our country. And BLM's letting them do it because they're getting donations out their ass. Sellout shit. It's also racist as well. So let's, let's, let's read further. The white press in Wilmington originally described the event as a race riot caused by blacks. However, over time, with more facts publicized, the event has come to be seen as a coup d'etat, the violent overthrow of a duly elected government by a group of white supremacists. Multiple causes brought it about. It is claimed to be the only such incident in American history or late reconstruction era violence did not result in a direct coup or removal and replacement of elected officials by unelected individuals. The coup occurred after the state's white Southern Democrats conspired and led a mob of 2,000 white men to overthrow the legitimately elected local fusionist government. They expelled opposition black and white political leaders from the city, destroyed the property and businesses of black citizens built up since Civil War, which they're doing to their own businesses under the BLM banner, and Antifa is also destroying black and white businesses under their own banner while screaming Black Lives Matter. It's absolutely ludicrous and ridiculous. I, I have to sigh, dude. It drives me insane that no one sees this shit. They also destroyed the only black newspaper in the city and killed an estimated of 60 to more than 300 people. The background to this. In 1860, before the Civil War, Wilmington was a majority black and largest city in the state with nearly 10,000 people. Numerous enslaved laborers and free people of color worked at the port in households as domestic servants and in a variety of jobs as artisans and skilled workers. With the end of the war, freedmen in many states left plantations and rural areas for towns and cities, not only to seek work, but to gain safety by creating black communities without white supervision. Okay. Tensions grew in Wilmington and other areas because a shortage of supplies. Confederate currency had no value and in the South was impoverished at the end of the long war. In 1868, North Carolina ratified the 14th Amendment, resulting in recognition of Reconstruction and in the state legislature and governorship failing under Republican rule. Democrats greatly resented this radical change, which they deemed as being brought about by Blacks, Unionists, carpetbaggers, and race traders. I told you Democrats were the KKK. 
Freedmen were eager to vote, tending to support the Republican Party that had emancipated them and given them citizenship and suffrage. For a temporary period, Confederate veterans were barred from, the build from office and voting. Many white Democrats had been embittered since the Confederacy's defeat. Insurgent veterans joined the KKK, which orchestrated Many white, let me read that again. Many white Democrats had been embittered since the Confederacy's defeat and insurgent veterans joined the KKK, which orchestrated considerable violence at elections in order to suppress the black vote. But Republicans are racist. Where in the fuck did you even get that at? These people that say that, not you, necessarily. Democrats regained control of the state legislature in 1870 after the KKK was suppressed by the federal government through the Forced Act of 1870. New paramilitary troops groups arose in the South, and by 1874, chapters of Red Shirts, a paramilitary arm of the Democratic Party, had formed in North Carolina. Democrats developed a plan to reverse home rule, meaning local officials would no longer be elected by appointed by the state. They began circumventing legislation by taking over the state's judiciary and adopted 30 amendments to the state constitution, including lowering the number of judges on the state Supreme Court, putting the lower courts and local governments under the control of the state legislature rescinding the votes of certain types of criminals, mandating segregated public schools, outlawing interracial relationships, and granting the General Assembly the power to modify or nullify any government, any local government. By adopting these things, the Democrats became identified as would-be bastions for white Americas. However, their control was largely limited to the western part of the state within counties where demographically there were few blacks. As Democrats chipped away at the Republican rule, things became at, things came to a head in 1876 uh, during the gubernatorial campaign of Zebulon B. Vance, a former Confederate soldier and governor. Vance called the Republican Party begotten by a scallywag out of a mulatto and born in an outhouse. Dude, he's like you were born in an outhouse. He called him shit. Through Vance, the Democrats saw their biggest opening to begin implementing their agenda in the eastern part of the state. However, in that region, poor white cotton farmers fed up with the capitalism of big banks and railroad companies, high freight rates, and uh, awful economics aligned themselves with labor, with the labor movement. They had turned on the Democratic Party, founding the People's Party, also known as the Populists, in 1892 as the U.S. plunged into economic depression. The populace banded with black Republicans who shared their hardships, forming an interracial coalition with a platform of self-governance, free public education, and equal voting rights for black men called the Fusion Coalition. Wow, dude. And it continues to go on and on and freaking on forever headlining Wilmington itself, white resentment, 
fusionist dominance, white supremacy campaigns, uh, particular people that were involved. Um, and I just, I cannot, I, there's, I mean, if you want me to read it to you in like a, a one-time podcast thing, I can. It's extremely interesting. Uh, so, I, but I've been telling you, um, the background of the Democrats that you think you are um, voting for isn't what you think it is. Um, so anyway, you feel free to check that out. I have it linked at bizarrebiz.com. Um, if you want me to finish reading this entire freaking wiki, let me know. And I'll just have to do like a whole one to, one to two hour podcast on it or something. Um, anyway, thank you for tuning in tonight. Um, I really enjoyed sharing this news with you. Um, please note that... Also, uh, all of the news will now be uploaded to the podcast every, every day so that you can also get the news on your favorite podcast outlets, including Apple, Spotify, iTunes, etc. They're all at BizarreBist.com. Just click on podcast. Um, and have a great rest of the night, and I will see you all tomorrow.